Welcome to episode 11 of Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. We're your hosts, Derek Dye and Jeff Brownson, and together we're drinking our way through this amazing world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Andrew Brooks, partner and founder of the Talking Cursive Brewing Company, located right in the heart of downtown Syracuse, New York. I sat down with Andrew in the Talking Cursive taproom to conduct our first socially distant in-person interview of the COVID era. I'm pretty sure I could see the jealousy in Derek's face as I sampled a few beers during the recording, since he was back in Maryland, hopping on to record virtually. Even though we couldn't all be in the same place, we had a great conversation with Andrew. We learned a little bit about what went into opening the brewery, heard how they've adapted during the pandemic, and even touched on where to travel for great beer. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our listeners. Without you, let's face it, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you won't miss anything we have coming down the line. I also want to send a quick thanks out to my friend Krista, who virtually introduced me to Andrew. I put a request on Facebook for people to recommend a brewery in Syracuse, and she took it a step further and connected me straight to a brewery owner. And now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Andrew Brooks. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining us. I've got Derek here as always with me, and we are talking today to Andrew Brooks from the Talking Cursive Brewing Company in Syracuse, New York. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hello. It's great to have you here. We're going to get right into it and and go back to the beginning. I'm not sure exactly how long ago that was, but tell us a little bit about when you opened, I guess, when you got the idea and when you opened the tap room here. Uh, sure. So we... Um... We started in late 2015 thinking about opening a brewery. Uh, in 2017, uh, we kind of decided on the Talking Cursive Brewing Company name, regardless of where that location was going to be. Uh, so we founded the LLC at that time, filed the trademarks, all that kind of thing. So officially established in 2017, uh, we opened the tasting room here uh, on March 7th of 2019. So our one-year anniversary was... Uh, exactly one week before the uh, the shutdown started oh man that's rough yeah that's a, what a present there yeah. <laughs> they say the first year is the hardest no the second year the yeah second year for you guys. <laughs> and andrew you mentioned we uh can you tell us a little bit about uh your partners there uh sure uh, cursive yeah uh my wife is one of the other partners uh she's the managing partner and then uh, also sue kimmel is our investor uh investing partner and were you, you said you opened the tap room uh, a year ago, March, or well, almost two years. Were you distributing any beer before that, or you were just getting things up and running? And Just getting things up and running. Uh, we didn't, you know, some places do like some contract brewing ahead of time to get the name out there, that kind of thing. Uh, we didn't do any of that. Just got the system, set it up, started brewing on it, and uh, opened with about six beers and a bunch of guest taps, and pretty quickly... Uh, filled the rest of those. And going back to the very beginning, Andrew, what, what led you to decide to open a brewery and what led you and your wife to the name Talking Cursive? I think we were both in the hospitality business for a long time, worked that as a, a second job, even into our, you know, kind of full-time careers. So 
we thought about opening a bar or a restaurant, that kind of thing. Uh, almost did a couple times. And it, at that point, it was kind of like, yeah, but those 2 a.m.s get kind of kind of old after a while, especially when you, you know, and both of our full-time jobs were kind of taken off at that point. So uh, we kind of put a hold on it. And then, uh, you know, we were always into craft beer. And then as more and more started opening, we were like, you know, breweries can close at eight or nine. Yeah, you don't have to be open. We don't have to be here till two. I mean, we can be, uh, but we don't have to be here. You know, we could be that tasting room that, you know, closes it, uh, closes early and, and get out of here at a reasonable hour and, and go ahead and do this. And then it was obviously, well, we need to learn how to brew beer then. Uh, so uh, we took a bunch of courses uh, at a couple other breweries with Cornell uh, in Ithaca and uh, we took some courses up in Vermont. We did an immersion course in Colorado and just, you know, we started home brewing, you know, and like every weekend for, you know, like three years, just brewing every single weekend, sometimes twice a week, you know, uh, just trying all kinds of different styles and, and figuring out what we wanted to do. So it's good that you did that. I think some places open up and they start that process once they've opened where you did it beforehand to make sure you you had quality beverages coming out when, right when you opened the tap room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to say, you know, that scaling them up and when we opened, like it was the most amazing beer in the world or anything, but, uh, I think we quickly, you know, have improved our process, uh, you know, since day one, uh, going through till today still, you know, we're just always looking to figure out a way to do things better and, and have better beer. So we've talked to a decent number of breweries at this point, and some of them, it's been, I, I won't ever say easy, but it's been not that bad for them to get opened up a simple couple of forms, couple of, a little bit of paperwork. And some of them have just had nightmares of hoops to jump through. What's the process like here in Syracuse? Is it something that's fairly easy or do they make it really tough on new breweries? You know, on, local, on, on the local level, actually, we, we had several locations that, that we looked at, uh, a couple town board you know, planning meetings that we started to go to and started the process. Uh, we even bought some land in, in Pompey and that, you know, for whatever reason, things didn't end up working out with those places. In Syracuse, actually, um, I'm going to give uh, Pete at Eastwood uh, a lot of credit. He's the one who, you know, kind of opened the second round of breweries in Syracuse uh, after Middle Ages and Empire in the 90s. And, you know, we spent years basically telling the city, no, this is what your law says. This is, you know, what I need to do and this is what I don't need to do. Uh, so so on that part, Sy Syracuse wasn't that bad. And we also had the the building owner go to the, the board meetings for that. So we didn't have to do any of that, but it, it was still a process. The state process was really the hardest. And I, you know, in talking to people who they, they redid the laws uh, when around the time they did the farm bill act to make it easier, it's still maybe easier, but not, not that easy. Um, and then there's still a lot of, you know, a lot of ongoing things as well that you have to file. And you have a couple of different licenses here, right? Because you brew beer, but you also serve cocktails and you serve uh, New York State wines. And is that a completely different license or in New York? Is it just one thing? Uh, so th there's there's various licenses you can have in New York. Um, we're a microbrewery and a farm brewery. So we're dual licensed. 
in order to keep that, we have to produce at least 50 barrels on each license a year, which for us is no problem. You know, on a seven barrel system, you know, we, we try and do a lot of New York State beers. Uh, and, and that's something we're actually focused on even more going forward is using local ingredients uh, because it, they've just gotten so much better. So the, the farm license allows us to also have uh, the New York State wines and um, ciders, other guest taps, uh, and New York State spirits. Uh, so we can do all that, but it is all New York State stuff, you know, so it's not like a full bar where, you know, we got like Absolute and Tito's and all that. Do those... Uh various licenses do they have upper limit caps are you are you capped at a maximum amount of production uh i would just say we're not at the point where i need to worry about that uh, there, there probably are some but not that i have to worry about at, at this scale so overall what's the beer scene like in syracuse for those that haven't been here i i grew up just outside in east syracuse but what there were not small breweries when i was here i guess middle ages opened up just kind of when i was getting out but what's a, are there a lot of breweries in the area? Do you have a lot of competition? Do you work well together? What's, what's it kind of like here? Uh, we work very well together for, for the most part. You know, there's always going to be an exception in every group, but we work very well together. There's actually a, a snowbelt collective of, of all the local breweries. And um, pre-COVID, you know, we would meet every month. We did a uh, 14 beer collaboration last year. Uh, where we all had this, you know, we all went down to Willow Rock and brewed it there. So, like I said, it started with Empire and, and uh, Middle Ages and then Pete and Eastwood. And then since then, there's quite a few that have opened up in the city and the surrounding area. I think there's 12 in the city and 20 in the county or something like that. that don't quote me on that exactly, but uh, it's hard to keep track of everything. But uh, that, and I know there's, you know, uh, several others in the planning stages and looking to open. I, I'd say we're, as far as the beer scene here, you know, we're a couple years behind Rochester, who's, you know, arguably a couple years behind Buffalo um, in just kind of how many breweries there are and the quality of the breweries. I, but we're definitely, you know, moving along and, and getting, you know, we, we want to be, you know, Syracuse was always a, a brewing city, you know, back to the 19th century. And um, so I think, you know, we're, we're bringing that back and, and trying to bring more more breweries into the area. For us, it's not really competition. Yes, we're breweries, but we all do our own thing. You know, if you want, you know, great English styles, you come here, you go to Middle Ages. Uh, if you want really um, like, like fruited sours and that kind of thing, you can go up to Heritage Hill. You know, if you want really fresh, hoppy IPAs, you go to Eastwood, uh, you know, if you want some kind of funky experimental stuff, sometimes you can go to Willow Rock. Uh, if you want weird Belgian styles, you can go uh, up to Red Hawk. There's just, there's something for everyone. And we're, we don't look at ourselves as competition. We look at it as the better we all do, the better everyone does. You know, it's, it's an emerging market. So you have people, if they go to a brewery and it's not good, uh, they'll say, ah, I told you I didn't like craft beer. And they, you know, don't even go to any others or giving any others a shot. So we all want each other to, to do better and, and be better. And I think you have, um, when people know that there's a good brewery, then like you said, they're more likely to try the other ones in the area. And I think then the area becomes known for that, where people like myself and Derek, who may live several hours away, may one day make a trek there just exactly. to three or four breweries over the weekend. So like, 
like you said, I think it's really good that you guys work together with the Snowbelt Collective that you mentioned. How big is that Snowbelt? Does that go out to Buffalo, Rochester area, or is that more uh, central New York? Generally, central New York. Um, Buffalo has their own kind of thing. Rochester has the the 585 Collective. And so we're really, you know, like mostly Syracuse and central New York. Occasionally, you know, like I've been, Prison City's been to a couple there in Auburn. So they're kind of in the middle of, of Syracuse and Rochester. But uh, it's, it's generally, you know, the surrounding area, you know, Onondaga County, Madison County. Andrew, talking about your beer, uh, which is obviously the most fun part of this conversation, <laughs> uh, you have a lot of, uh, of Syracuse-themed beer names. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your beer and its connection to Syracuse? Yeah, I think it's um, th- there are definitely some some Syracuse and community-themed uh, beers. Um, you know, we have our, our Parade Day Irish Red, or the Spirit of Light is the, uh, the statue on the the tower right across the street at the uh, Niagara Mohawk building there. Um, you know, prayed to Irish red. I think I might've said that one already. <laughs> the, the keep common two, three zone, uh, an orange cream pale ale. Um, but we also do a lot of things like with our, our family. So like, uh, my sister-in-law, Kadeen or, or uh, Joshua, you know, our, our, or Peter's boat beer, you know, some of our friends, uh, I, I think in general, it's just that, our beers have a, a story or, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, a, an art or like a, a, you would name a painting or something like that. So it's really just that uh, the story that our beers tell and, and a lot of that story is our family and friends and in, uh, in the, in the local area. And for those who haven't been here, this, we should mention that this is located smack in the middle of downtown Syracuse. Um, I don't think you could get more in Syracuse than this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, Armory Square is probably like the, the center, like two blocks yeah. away. Uh, but, you know, we have the, the Niagara Mohawk building across from us, which is just, it's a beautiful 30s art deco building. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, I grew up in this area and I know I've seen that many times, but when I got out of the car today, I, I hadn't seen it in years. And I was like, wow, that's a beautiful building. Yeah. Yeah. I when, when we first opened this, when this location came up, we had actually decided, um, I, I'd mentioned, you know, we had several locations that didn't work out. And, and at one point we'd say, you know, we had a broker and we said, look, this is all right. Every uh, one of these places, we're coming up with a new business plan and this and that. And, you know, like we, let's just stick to what we were going to do and we're looking for a spot out in the country with plenty of parking and we can have, you know, fields and this and that. And, and then she was like, that's great. There's just this one more property I want you to look at first. That's completely different and not any of that. Exactly. And, but I, I stood here and this, it's hard to see on audio, but you know, like this was basically just a wide open space and there were two pillars here and then there's a ladder in the back. So it was just open all the way to the back. And I kind of was standing where those pillars are. And I was like, okay, well, if that, that, that's enough room for the brewing area, I think. And, and I looked at the front here and I and said, yeah, I think that's enough room for a tasting room. It'll have a kind of narrow New York city kind of feel, you know, like maybe we'll do this kind of, I don't know, speakeasy kind of thing. And I looked out the window and there's the Niagara Mohawk building staring at me. And I was just like, yep, this is, this is the spot. All right. So we're going to need seven barrels. We're going to need to have food. We need a kitchen. All right. We're going to, you know, we're going to need to be open six, seven days a week. Like let's, let's do it. Yeah. Um, it just kind of changes everything. 
Yeah, I was like, what, this, if this is what I'm looking at for, you know, the rest of my life, that I'm good looking out at this every day. You know, it's just it's just beautiful. <laughs> and I would think it, it changes the clientele a lot, too. You probably get a lot more evening, weekday evening people who pop in rather than the weekend people. Um, they're going out to those breweries out in the country and yeah, driving a car yes. outside of town. So it's it's a different group and it's almost good to be in that different group. It, I mean, you know, COVID aside, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, once once everything gets back to normal sometime next year, what we really got was more the travelers who were coming to Syracuse for things and finding us, um, especially since Empire closed. You know, they were downtown. OK, well, Empire's not here. Who's closest? Talking cursive. Boom. Wow. OK, love it. They'll be back once this is all over. Um, but, you know, and also uh, Syracuse University events, you know, um, just people coming into town for that and that, and that kind of thing. So uh, it, it is a different crowd. So you get a lot in, in non-COVID times, you get a lot of people coming in during parents' weekends, graduations. Exactly. Kids exactly. off to yeah. college. Like, I know when I drop my son off to college, I'm definitely going to get a beer right after. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes. And, 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 you know, we had a little bit of that early September and then that was kind of when it started ramping back up again and, uh, and business started ramping back down. So, but, uh, we're, we're, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. And for those of us not familiar with Syracuse and especially downtown Syracuse, can you tell us how close you are to uh, Syracuse university if people wanted to swing by before or after a Syracuse football or basketball game? Yeah. Um, it's, Gosh, I <laughs> I should know how far it is. I mean, I know where it Maybe is. Maybe not. Maybe he I, did, I couldn't say like it's one point two miles. It's it's probably something like that. You know, it's basically it's the universities up on the hill. If you come downtown, um, we're at kind of the the northern edge of downtown, um, right by Dinosaur Barbecues, the the other landmark. If pe- if you say Syracuse and they don't know the Nymo Building, you can say Dinosaur. We're two blocks from that. Oh, yep, I know right where that is. And I'm actually going there after we record. (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) It's an icon of Syracuse, and I don't get back here that often, so I have to go get my uh, barbecue sandwiches or something to take home. Definitely. So in non-COVID times, it would be normal for people to uh, stop by before or after both Syracuse event? Yes, yes, absolutely. Usually before, because basketball especially is usually, you know, later games, you know, but... uh, and like I said, we we can close early. <laughs> we close tonight. Well, it's a nine o'clock game. We're not. I guess we're not showing that tonight. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to be there dealing with the people after the game. Either. Yeah, <laughs> super happy or super sad. Yeah, exa- you know, putting putting a game on is always a. a it's it's one or the other, right? Like. <laughs> yeah, but the good news is, happy people like to have a beer, and yes. sad yes. people like to have a beer. So. True, true. <laughs> sad people need to have a beer. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> So that's a little bit about Syracuse and your location. Can you tell us a little bit more about the brewery itself? Uh, why do you think it stands out from the competition? I think, you know, one, I don't know if it's not, it's cliche or whatever, but like we're us. Um, we are who we are and, and, and who we are goes into a lot of our beers and the stories about the beers and where they came from. When we were researching this, um, Patty and I went to about 175 different breweries all throughout the Northeast and, and Southeast and, and, uh, for research. Right? Yes. Research, uh, air quotes there. Um, but, but we did like, I, we kept a database of like, what are all the things that you love about 
breweries. Like what's the one thing about this brewery that stood out positively and the one thing that stood out negatively? You know, what about places that have TVs versus not having TVs, having flights versus not having flights, having a flight board or what what is your flight four or six? Uh, What kind of merchandise do you have? What's your feel? Are people coming to the tables? All those kinds of things. One of them that, that really stood out was was staff. And, you know, you could go to a brewery and, and have the, you know, the best beer. And, you, you know, you ask the, you know, the bartender, you know, oh, you know, can you tell me about this? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, this is my uh, my cousin's joint. Uh, I just work here on the weekends for him. Yeah, not helpful. Versus, you know, somewhere where you go and they want to tell you all about it. Uh, and, and, you know, the story behind it and what, what the ingredients are and that kind of thing. And so we really you know, wanted to have staff that is, is, that they're here because they love craft beer, not because necessarily, of course they want a job, but, or, you know, but it's, it's about that love for craft beer and sharing that love with other people. Um, you know, if you come in here and ask, well, when, when we can serve again inside, uh, you know, uh, all our, all of our, uh, beer tenders are just great at, you know, finding what people want and making those recommendations and being able to talk to them about beer. And how did you find people like that? Was that a tough process? Because in looking at some of the reviews ahead of time, I, I had never been in here before. You were recommended by a, a mutual friend. Um, and looking at a lot of the reviews, a lot of them mention your staff and how wonderful the staff is. So it's interesting that you said that is, is one of the ways that sets you apart because people just say that this is the best staff of any brewery I've been to. That's in two or three reviews. (laughs) So it it really stood out to me. How do you find those people? Um, You know, just there, we, one of the things we did is for our job postings, um, we did it on Facebook and then we shared it in a lot of the beer groups because to us, it wasn't about, where they've bartended and how fast a pace it is. It's, it's actually like, you know, there was people coming in like, yes, and I work here and I can push all this beer out. And I'm like, that's great. I don't want you. Do you like beer? Yeah, ex- exactly. Like, do you like beer? Can you talk about beer? If someone's like, uh, I don't know, uh, what could, what do I get? Which is a lot of people, um, you know, they can narrow that down for them and, and get them a, a beer that they're, they will hopefully like. I feel like breweries are in a unique position. It's interesting you touch on it, you know, especially the craft beer scene and, and breweries specifically. You come there to enjoy a beverage, to sit there and have a conversation, either with your friends, your family, or people you meet, or the bartender. And what better way to sell a product than to have people coming to you that just want to sit down, relax, and have a conversation with someone they just met, right? That's the, like you say, it's the perfect opportunity to sell your product. It is. And and it also gets them something that they will hopefully enjoy. I mean, you know, not everyone loves every style, but if you can narrow it down to the styles that they might like, and you have a good example of that, they're much more likely to enjoy a beer than say like, Oh, I like that name or whatever. And let's try these. And you know, the, if the bartenders no help in choosing out that beer and they pick four styles that they absolutely hate, it could be the best beer in the world, but if they don't like that style, it doesn't matter. So it's, it's getting people the right beer. Yeah. And we talked when you were pouring me a couple of beers to have, uh, while we're sitting here, which by the way, both are fantastic. You. you can tell the listeners what I'm drinking in a minute here, but 
you said, well, do you like this style or do you like that style? And I said, well, I can kind of appreciate any style. I just need to be able to drink it. But I don't think that's true of most people. I think most people, there are people who love IPAs. There are people who hate IPAs. And if you give someone who hates IPAs three IPAs and a stout, they're going to think it's a terrible brewery. Because yeah. from the beginning, they weren't going to like those three beers. So it's it's important that people can recognize that it's for people who haven't worked in a brewery, you get some weird questions. You get people coming in that are like, which one of your beers tastes most like lemonade or something like that? And you're like, uh, none of them, but why don't you try this? And it's it's strange questions. So to have people who are, are attending the bar and can really narrow in and find the customer what they like, it does really help with the experience. Agreed, agreed. I find actually that one of the things for COVID that I miss the most is going and sitting and chatting with a bartender or chatting with the person next to me. And I said that to my wife not too long ago, and she looked at me like I was crazy because she hates going places on her own. She <laughs> will talk to strangers, but she doesn't enjoy it as much as I do. <laughs> I love that being stuck at a bar and sandwiched in between a couple of people and talking to the person next to you and talking to the bartender and getting recommendations when I travel and that kind of thing. So it's, that's one of the things I miss most. Yeah. And that's, you know, definitely our vibe. Like, you know, like we have got a couple TVs, but really Syracuse games is uh, about 99% the only thing that they're ever on for if, if we're open during a game. And aside from that, you know, it's generally screens that have up our events coming up, what are specials we have, what are, um, you know, some are about the history of brewing in Syracuse and, and uh, you know, what, what's in our fermenters right now, things like that. And I told you, you could tell the listeners what I was drinking and then blew right by that. And yeah. didn't let <laughs> um, what are the, the two that I'm drinking? I asked you for a, a customer favorite and what your favorite is that's on tap right now. So let them know what you picked for that. Sure. Um, for the customer favorite, I picked uh, Canade. That's our Scottish export ale. You know, I think one of our, our best beers. Um, it's, it's very interesting. It's, um, it's very, you know, you've got the, the malty sweetness. Um, and then sometimes, uh, Scottish ales go for that, you know, peated smoke. Uh, we use a, a plumwood smoked malt instead of the peated. Um, it's just, a less med- medicinal medicine-y. I don't know what the right word is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it does, you know, it, it's, it's less likely to get that kind of, uh, band-aid taste. And then we also use some cascade hops to give just a little bit of brightness um on that my, my reaction after one sip of that was wow that's a that's a good beer for a syracuse winter yeah <laughs> or summer you know you got those those cool evenings and out by a campfire so it's it's really a good all-around year beer here that's you know definitely one that will you know it's it's tap line eight it sh- will basically always be on it'll hang out there for for the duration yeah. <laughs> And maybe if I'm feeling friendly at the end here, I'll get some beers and bring them back for Derek so that he can <laughs> it, doesn't have to sadly sit there listening to us describe. Yeah, I'm just sitting here salivating watching you two drink your drink your drinks. Uh, so the other one was uh, Rise and Pine, which is our uh, a West Coast uh, rye IPA. It's got some kind of traditional West Coast, you know, Simcoe, that kind of thing, brew one. And then it also has a, a spruce centennial hop. It's basically hops that are, uh, when it's pelletized, it's uh, mixed with spruce tips. And so we get that from a, uh, a place in British Columbia. And it just, it adds that just right amount of spruce without 
going into, you know, pine saw territory, like, like a lot of spruce beers can get to be um, fairly quickly. You know, it was, it w- so our, our building for that recipe was like, okay, just add two pounds. Like, okay, yep. Two. Okay. Yep. No, nope, add all four. Like I can tell from that, like, that's going to be fine. We're not going to go over that threshold. And, but I, I think it's a, a really good, nice kind of throwback uh, beer. Uh, we're actually, we got such good reception on that. We're actually for our next Canyon run uh, dropping our uh, stolen keys, uh, new England IPA for a run and doing the, the West coast IPA for this. So. I think that may be something we see as kind of a trend. I think New England IPAs has grown hugely, especially here on the East Coast. And we've seen that from so many breweries that when you said, hey, do you like a, a Pacific IPA? Yeah. I was like, yeah, actually, not many places have one of those. Yeah. And I drank it and I thought, it's refreshing to have that. I love New England IPAs, but to to have that different flavor. Yeah. My my wife says whenever she's not a big beer drinker, but when she likes to taste a lot of the beers that I have, and whenever it's a one of those uh, West Coast IPAs, she she drinks it and she's like, "That tastes like trees." Yeah, <laughs> I'm super excited that you actually has trees in it. <laughs> it. It literally does. Yes. <laughs> so Andrew, tell us uh, currently how many uh, tap lines do you have in the tap room? How many? beers are you currently brewing and is is that normal now during covid or are you up or down some production <laughs> production's really all over the place uh, just because we kind of like okay we're shut down only oh now we can open the outdoors okay now we can open inside but only this many well now it's less okay now it's outside again so we kind of run into in between canyon cycles we're like okay we got to get a couple beers on for taps uh, no, we don't, <laughs> but we already brewed them. They're already in the tanks. Okay. So everything's just a little crazy as, as far as that goes, but normally, I mean, we have 15 taps, uh, normally of our beers. We do occasionally have a guest tap if, uh, you know, we run out of a, a particular style that our, our customers are expecting. We can, we can have up to 17. We've got a keg rater now, but, um, we so right now those are available in crawlers. The ones that we don't have in cans, we have, um, nine different beers in cans right now and three different beers in bottles. Um, that's more like the barrel age and, and farmhouse styles. Um, and then cans, it's a little bit of everything. We've been doing basically like a New England IPA and another IPA and at least one and maybe two fruited sours. Uh, and then like one or two traditional styles when we've done our, our canning runs. Um, we usually do four to six beers when we do that. Um, so that's one thing that really has changed. We planned on canning maybe three times this year and doing most of our distribution in-house, uh, you know, in the tasting room. With that being closed, you know, one of the things we we did quickly was, you know, we had brewed everything. You know, we had all this beer for our anniversary that we expected to sell in the tasting room and a few kegs out to accounts. And then now all those accounts we did have, are those places are also closed. So um, it was really like, okay, what do we do with all this beer? Uh, our brewers at the time, Billy and Keith, came up with a plan to basically, you know, take what we could and, you know, get it packaged. Um, some of it, you know, we couldn't. Uh, so we just, you know, like our hop flash, we had a brand new batch. It hadn't even been tapped. I was like, okay, $5 crawlers. 
maybe I'll at least get the money back for the hops, but this is going to go bad. At, you know, we're selling two crowers a day. I have 200 gallons of this. <laughs> Let people be happy and hopefully get my money back and, and go from there. And so we've actually done six or seven canning runs this year, and we have another one lined up for January already. So we've got stuff in our tanks for that. Um, we've got a, a barrel age release that we're getting ready to do um, along with that canning run. When you talk about canning runs, do you have are you contracting with an outside company that comes in with the machine? Yes, um, we use Revolution Mobile Canning lately, um, and they're doing a great job. And and we've been able to you know get them at the times where where we need them. So it, right now it's about every five to six weeks um, since probably I think it was end of April or early May when we got our our, our first one, our first post-COVID run in, which was kind of almost scheduled, but we were kind of deciding what to do. And so we've been doing it, you know, like I said, every every five, six weeks since then, and uh, just trying to get our name out there, expanding our market. So, you know, people aren't going to bars and restaurants right now. They're going to bottle shops and stores to get a lot more of their beer. So let's get our beer out to them. Um you know, we had a lot of markets we didn't expect to hit for another year and a half, two years. And we're just like, yep, nope, we're going to Binghamton. We're going to Waverly. We're going to Elmira. We're going to Utica, Rome, Albany, Rochester. Like, let's go. Let's get on the road. And it's a great time for that, too, because you have so many people are grabbing stuff at their local stores and they're just going to the local grocery store or the local convenience store. Or um, I think in New York, it's you can buy beer at far more places than a lot of states. It's cool that you were able to expand into those markets because those same people who are stuck at home and aren't traveling to go to different breweries are now seeing new stuff in the cooler and seeing your stuff in the cooler. And you may have fans in Binghamton that come up to Syracuse every, whatever, couple of times a year for business or something. And now they know that this is a place they want to try out because they found that in the, in the cooler at the local uh, convenience store. That That's absolutely it. And, you know, and we have had, you know, when we first started getting out and then when we were able to reopen for a, a couple months there, you know, we had people coming up from Binghamton and in from Rochester and, you know, oh, I had your beer at AJ's or I, I had your beer on tap at Craft and had to come up here and try it. So, so pre-COVID, were you distributing anywhere? We, we really, we had done one Canyon run before that, and it was really just a, a handful of, you know, local stores. Um, we got a little bit like maybe two stores in Watertown, one store in Ithaca. It was mostly kegs to bars and restaurants that we were doing. Um, and so now, you know, we've built up, uh, we've got probably close to twice as many accounts as we had before. Um, and, and, you know, been able to keep most of the other ones active as they've they've kind of built up you know everyone's slowed down right now but uh doing what we can getting it out there it was it was funny there was a like four days after our can release our, our salesman was going out and he had like three kegs with him and no cases and i'm like <laughs> he's like i know <laughs> i don't know doesn't make so, sense but yeah, yeah okay <laughs> we're selling cakes today fine how's overall production right now uh during covid compared to before we've talked to some breweries that are actually brewing more beer because they're selling so many cans and some that just aren't seeing the customers at all. Where do you fall on that scale? You know, our, our production is up actually quite a bit, um, probably about 30%, but the margin on it is significantly lower. Yeah. And a can costs a lot. And you have to charge less for it. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's a 
you know, double-edged sword there. Um, you know, we're getting out a lot more places, but we're, we're making much less money on what's going out there. And, and also they don't have the experience of having it in here, you know, in this setting also. Um, so that, that can affect people's perceptions as well. You know, like, uh, oh, you know, I got this and it looked really cool, but then it just wasn't my thing. You know, whereas if they were here, someone, you know, they could have been directed. Yeah, they could, or they could have tried two other kinds and found right. that. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I, I say, you know, we're, we're hanging in there, right? Like, it's our second year of business. So regardless of what our projections are in, in a pre-pandemic world, those are out the window. So whatever we thought we were going to do this year, see ya. Okay, what do we do? Yeah, it makes it kind of impossible to plan, right? Because you're you expected to ramp up a certain amount for it being the second year in business, but you expected that to ramp up similar to your first year, and yes. it's nothing like it. No, nothing like it. And then we have a, you have no idea if you're going to maintain those can customers or if they're going to start coming in, or will you get a crazy number of people coming in? I can't imagine trying to plan for that. I don't envy you. Yeah, we. I mean, we have no idea when it's even going to be. Even with this new release, I'm like, okay, well, I want to do this one that's you know a, a charity beer and this and that, but that's kind of like. But maybe we should hold off on it until like the next canning run because we might be able to be open then, and it's much easier to give a dollar per pint than a dollar per can that you already spent. 50 cents on the label, 50 cents on the can, uh, getting it canned and all that. And now I'm charging half the price after I've spent three times as much making it. Yeah. So, uh, but we're, you know, we're, we're figuring it out, just, uh, trying to navigate it all and, and, uh, the best we can. I think one thing we, you know, we got online ordering and that kind of thing up very quickly when uh, this all started and that helped tremendously this time we're just kind of you know riding it out uh, the first time basically our our, our uh, cook at the time left um, you know had concerns about COVID and being around people and that kind of thing at the very beginning of it and then just you know we are the, the only brewery in the area I, I think there's a couple that have added it since this you know but uh, you know with with the kitchen and with food um, but we're also not like a restaurant where people like come here for dinner and have a couple beers. It's more like they come and have beers and something to go with it, if that makes sense. Um, so it's on the to go aspect and, and a lot of the food didn't travel well. So this time when we went to go only, we were like, okay, what are our like four items that are good to go and not try and, you know, like make sandwiches that are going to get soggy and that kind of thing, you know, just like what, what travels well, like, yeah, those pretzels are great. If you eat them in here, when you get it, by the time they get it home, it's cold, it's hard, it's nasty. No one wants to eat it. Like we should not have had that to go. We found that with a lot of restaurants with takeout during COVID that, and some of them have stopped serving certain things, but our, our favorite local Thai restaurant had always, they had a takeout menu and one of my favorite dishes was not on the takeout menu and i why is it and they're like well it's not good if you get it delivered yeah. <laughs> so we're not gonna offer it it's just not something that we do and that was something from way back and i think that a lot of restaurants hopefully can learn from this situation and take out of it that maybe there are some items that you should not have on their takeout menu even in normal times because they're just not as good and they don't represent you well and the same thing obviously that you discovered with some of your kitchen items yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, just the, everything about this has been, you know, just upside down, but, um, 
you know, we had a lot of uh, turnover, you know, in our, in our brew house, for example, in sales, you know, it was basically, um, you know, we had Billy and Keith and they were doing an amazing job, helped us, you know, elevate our beers uh, from, from what I was doing. Then, you know, Billy has moved on to be the uh, head brewer at Heritage Hill. He's doing a great job up there. Uh, Keith's working on a couple projects of his own. Uh, and, you know, they're going to make the, the Syracuse beer scene even better. But that caused us to, you know, bring in another brewer. Um, so now we have uh, Paul and he comes from Long Trail. Um, so, you know, and just uh, we have a new sales guy that had done a lot of uh, stuff, you know, with a distributor in the past. So he has a lot of contacts and, and that kind of thing. And so it's like, while this has all been crazy, like it's also allowed us to make changes that maybe needed to be changed that were made that we didn't know and, and try and put ourselves in a better position uh, just overall. Yeah. And you come out of this definitely with better contacts and with better ability to distribute. And that's maybe that wasn't part of the plan for a couple of years. Right. But yeah, like it's, it's, you know, kind of everything for a reason. Um, and, and so, you know, yet not being open on the in-house has allowed us to focus on the beer and our barrel age program and things like that. Um, and just, you know, quality overall. I am excited that you've mentioned Heritage Hill a couple of times because I am meeting a friend there for dinner and a couple of beers later today. So yeah, and they're outside the orange zone, so you can still go have a beer up there. Yeah, I think I think they have heated outdoor tents and a pavilion. Oh yeah, he's done a whole something. I don't stuff up there. I do, I can't even keep track of it. It's like oh, they got this open. Oh, they did this now. So it's they're they're really uh, you know working on that that outdoor seating because that's you know, a lot of what it's going to be for, for the short term anyways. Yeah. So I was too late to find him brewing beer here, but I'll go to the next place too. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, you mentioned that you're, uh, you had about double the accounts from pre COVID. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about where you distribute geographically now. Is it all in New York? Is it most of the state, some of the state, other states? Uh, it's yeah, it's, uh, most of the state we, um, we're not doing anything through TTB as far as labels go or anything. So, and we're self-distributing. So it's all within New York. Um, we're, you know, for the most part through a and I 81 corridors. Um, so we're like, uh, West to Rochester and actually working on Buffalo, um, for this next phase. Um, so we'll actually, we're actually starting to reach out to them next week about, you know, uh, our next canning run and when it is and what we'll have and, you know, what we still have that they might want to, you know, get out there to, to, you know, get our name out there before that. Um, so Rochester, Syracuse, Utica, Rome area, um, we're, we're getting into Albany pretty well uh, now as well. Uh, and then 81, so up to Watertown, down through, you know, Cortland, Ithaca, Binghamton, that corridor. And then the kind of Southwest, um, we're like over to Waverly and Elmira, Horseheads in a couple places. Uh, and down 17, um, I think it's 17, but down, you know, south of uh, maybe it's 87. I don't know, but <laughs> south of Albany, like heading towards uh, towards Poughkeepsie, like what people there would call upstate and we would call downstate. <laughs> so, so pretty well spread. Um, do you have plans to move into other states, or it's? I guess that's a almost a silly question because you didn't plan to do this, <laughs> right? Um, no, I, you, you know, we are. Uh, 
you know, things could, could obviously change, but we're, we're looking at this, like I said, like an opportunity and okay. So now we've taken this. So like I said, you know, forget what the business plan was. Um, we're, what, what should we be looking at in five years? Uh, and I think we are looking at people getting together more, uh, and not necessarily in this type of environment. So, you know, we need to look at, you know, do we need to do more production? Is that here or is it in another place? And, and so that's still something we're, you know, looking at moving forward with, um, you know, this, this is going to pass and, and we'll make it through the other side. I think there's, you know, there's going to be another round of funding, it seems like. So, you know, and it's not that, geez, it's already been, you know, nine months now. So it's like, okay, you know, maybe it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the, like the, the end is in sight of, of this whole mess. And if you've made it this far, if you've managed to adapt and, and change the business model and still have customers coming back, I think a lot of places have closed up because they couldn't do that. But to still be here and successfully selling beer, it shows that you, you have it in you to make it through the long haul. So I think that's good. And, and, and you know, like I said, where we are, you know, being in our second year helps us because we we should be losing money this year, you know, so that, not in a negative way, but like the reality is in the second year of business, you're not making money yet. So we're, we're really in this right where we should be and we're going to keep moving forward. Well, kudos to you for adapting. I know early on, you know, businesses, especially takeout businesses, once they were not allowed to have people inside, they really tried to figure out a way to make it work and it just didn't work. So the fact that you are maybe not doing what you ever envisioned, but you've uh, at least doubled your customer base, if not tripled or quadrupled. So uh, kudos to you and your staff for uh, transitioning so well when you're so early. And I'm sure it bodes well for you all in the future with uh, customers from all over New York traveling to Syracuse for one reason or another. They'll come in and, and buy their pints from you based on their good experience during COVID. I agree. And that's, you know, that's what we're shooting for, you know, just uh, like, uh, it's, it's funny because this is something I always said when I was in, in corporate world, you know, it was just like I had this project and it was, you know, it was just like that went on years and years and it was just like, just keep swimming. Like, look, we don't know maybe what the, where the final destination is, but, you know, my thing has always been kind of like, let's make the best decision we can with the information we have now and not be afraid to go back and go, you know what, that didn't work. We need to change that. Um, but it's okay that we went ahead with it because it was the best information we had at the time. And, you know, same thing here. Like I, we looked at, you know, doing delivery or some of these things and it was kind of like, if it doesn't lead to us continuing to do that, does it make sense to do and how much do we want to put into this just to get a couple more bucks now versus is that is that who we are so i think that's the one thing we've tried to do is, is stay true to who we are and and even with this when we had you know when we were open with limited seating you know and in some places and i absolutely understand why you know put up all the the sheets and the plastic this and that and we were kind of like Everyone's got to be six feet apart. You know, all the parties have to be six feet apart. Here's what we can do. Here's how many tables we can have. That's where we're at. And if it's full, then it's full and, and great, you know, but, uh, and if it's not, it's not, but I want it to still be that comfortable place where you can come and hang out and not feel like, oh, I've got like glass in between me and this other person. And I'm talking through a shower curtain to place my order. And that just wasn't us. So we said, yep. 
this is this is what it is. We'll spread everyone out more than we have to and make it comfortable. And and I think you know the the people that were comfortable enough to go out. I think part of it is you, you do have a lot of people going out that are just like the people that are like, yep, I don't care, and I'm going out. And and there was some of that, but I think what we got more of, especially in this location, was a lot of people saying, you know, there's not many places I go, but I I come here. So because because they felt comfortable and felt safe here. So that that to me meant more than squeezing in a couple more seats to get a couple more dollars. Yeah. And it's a good way to transition without spending unnecessary money or transitioning in a way that is forward looking that you'll be able to gain from that in the future rather than doing a whole bunch of things that you're just going to take away later on. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, if I, if I looked back, are there a couple things I would have done different? Sure. But you know, it was kind of like, yeah, well we could do that till May or maybe June or <laughs> and here we are December, you know, so we're basically January. So Derek had mentioned people traveling into the Syracuse area to see this. This podcast is about both beer and travel, obviously concentrations on beer today, but we, we always like to touch with the brewers and the brewery owners a little bit about your travel habits. And we got into that a bit before you said your wife, you and your wife had gone to a variety of places. Were there any places that specifically stood out as your favorite places to travel? Or I guess the secondary part of that question is some of the best areas for beer that you found. We definitely picked uh, and, and pretty much have always picked, you know, beer destinations, um, you know, so like Portland, Maine, Massachusetts, you know, Boston, that that whole scene there, um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, anywhere in Vermont, you know, um, if Florida has a ton of great breweries and, and we, you know, go visit, uh, you know, friends down there sometimes. And, and, uh, actually when, when the talking cursive name came up, we were in Dunedin, Florida and Dunedin's great because you've got like seven breweries that are all within walking distance, you know, starting it with soggy bottom and then, I'm not going to get them in the right order. So there's a number of them though. And, and, you know, uh, all great breweries, you know, we, we had already said, like I said, decided that, um, you know, okay, we, all these different places and everything, like we need a name that's going to fit no matter where our location is. Cause it was like, Oh, we're going to be Pompey Hollow Brewing Company. Oh, we're going to be Casnovia Brewing Company. Oh, we're going to be this or that. Like, okay, no, just, <laughs> let's at least get this part down. I hope that you weren't designing logos every time for all this. No, no, <laughs> not, not very far into it. And so this, you know, thing came up, it was, you know, like basically an old Dean Martin quote, you know, I'm not slurring my words, I'm talking cursive. It was like, oh, wait a minute, talking cursive brewing company. Like, so, you know, get out the phone, like, it's it's not taken yet. Okay, um, let's see. There, nope, it's not a website either. Like, okay, get on GoDaddy and like, Register talkingcursive.com. We're going to go back and file, you know, it just, it all came together. So I'm glad that worked out. I can definitely <laughs> say that I have registered at least two or three that I can think of domain names while having beers at a craft. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> that process doesn't surprise me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, um, and then in Denver, uh, in the whole greater Denver area, you know, Boulder and, and all that as well, you'd have to include that. Um, but you know, just a, a great beer scene there as well. And, and same kind of uh, a lot of camaraderie between breweries as well. And have you done much traveling outside of the U.S. or is it mostly uh, U.S.-based craft? Um, for, for beer, mostly U.S.-based. Um, 
you know, last time uh, I was in the Philippines, there are some craft breweries there now and a couple craft beer bars, but the, the reality is for most people there, um, you can get a San Miguel for about probably 40 cents uh, and a craft beer is the equivalent of $5, which is, is more than a lot of them make in a day. It just Yeah, I had a, a similar situation in Hong Kong once, I think it was. I went to a craft beer bar and they were like 6 or $7 beers and all of a sudden my night was very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and I had when to you're be like, like, yeah, everything's on me. Like, whatever. Like, yeah, I'll get another round. That was six bucks <laughs> you yeah. know and there's certain uh, places that you travel that you just like the beer should taste a certain way um, yeah and when i was in mexico earlier this year i had a lot of craft beer and i had some great beers from all over mexico that i honestly before that had no idea there was such a variety of stuff coming out of that country but i also just like to have a corona or a pacifico or yeah. a tecate on the beach was like Oh yeah, I mean with salt and tamarind, like it's 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 perfect in that moment. Like San Miguel, if you have it there, like with the bucket of ice, you know, and it's ninety degrees, and you know, it's it's a it's a great beer watered down in ninety degree heat. Uh, you come back here and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that beer, and you pop one open, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I don't want to drink that unless I have a beach. I can yeah. agree with you on San Miguel. <laughs> However, San Miguel Light should have never been produced. Uh, I, hey, I, it's I horrible. It <laughs> doesn't matter the temperature. It is horrible. But yeah, yeah, and that's sometimes it is not just the beer. It's it's everything around it, you know? Um, just like, you know, this, to to a smaller extent, you know, like this tasting room can be part of that experience also. So I, as we close up here, I kind of want to give you a chance. And from our conversation so far, I'm almost afraid to ask this because I don't think you know the answer. I don't think you possibly <laughs> Is there anything coming up, uh, Talking Cursive, that our listeners should know about to, as we head into the spring? Is there anything for people to get excited about or is it too much play it by ear? Um, it's, you know, some, some of it's play it by ear. Um, we do still have two more can releases scheduled um, for end of January and early March. Um, I'm hoping for early March we'll have some kind of anniversary party, but it might be, uh, a, you know, a, a smaller kind of like, okay, you know, 25 tickets kind of event. Um, yeah, who knows? But so we're, we're hoping to do something for our anniversary in March. Everybody buys the same can and you do a yeah. <laughs> cheers or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're working on a few things, but but everything is, uh, you know, obviously very up in the air. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to at least have indoor dining again by end of January, uh, early February, if the kind of predictions are correct, which you know, who knows? Uh, <laughs> but, but that's kind of our, our thought. And, and we're just looking at it like, Hey, we're just going to, you know, keep doing this for as long as we have to and, and go from there. And Andrew, can you tell all of our listeners where they can find talking cursive? Uh, sure. Yep. So we have our, our website is talkingcursive.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Instagram under uh, talking cursive brewing. And we will link up to all that in the show notes. And obviously, if you're in Syracuse and you want to come get a beer, I said obviously, but now I'm going to have to ask, what is the address here? Uh, so we're 301 Erie Boulevard West, uh, right across from the Niagara Mohawk building, in between Cafe Kubal and the Creekwalk Commons Apartments. 
and definitely check the website before you come because the rules are changing constantly here in New York State. And I think that's all you need to know. If you want great beer when you come here to Syracuse, I've had a couple. I'm hoping to have a couple more before I go. But what I've what I've tasted so far, I'm a big fan of Talking Cursive, and I look forward to visiting when the tap room is back open, uh, hopefully later in the year when I come back up here to see my parents again. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great conversation. We got to learn a little bit about the history of the brewery. It's it's not super old, but it looks like you're making the right choices to make it last in the long haul. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Cheers. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Andrew as we did talking to him. Who would have predicted that a brewery would come out of a worldwide pandemic, having more than doubled their distribution network? That's just amazing. Remember, if you want to come try these beers at the source, you have to make your way to Talking Cursive Brewing Company in downtown Syracuse, New York. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation, including information about the brewery, will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find these notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too. And please take a few moments to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun. Journey.